for just a moment, we were talking about like books that either put you to sleep or books that keep you up and you can't stop reading. Uh, and for me, I was mentioning one of my favorite, favorite, favorite books ever is Lonesome Dove. Lonesome Dove is fantastic. It's amazing. And I taught American Lit for, uh, for like eight years at, at, in, at the high school level. And what I love about uh, Lonesome Dove is that it's, a, it's, it's really a story about a dream that awakens these, you know, Texas Rangers who are past their prime. They're wondering, what's next? What's next? And then a friend, Jake Spoon, comes down and tells them, and this is uh, late 1800s, like 1870, and tells them, you know, Montana, that's a place to be. That's where you got to go. And they get a dream. They get a dream like, whoa, what if we stole some cattle again? <laughs> and <laughs> it's, it's, that's literally what they say. What, I bet we could steal some cattle. And then we could just, we could, we could do this. We could get a company together. We could drive those cattle up to Montana where it's free, where it hadn't been settled yet, where we can actually put our skills to work and we can build something. We can do something. And it's that dream that drives them forward onto an amazing adventure. And there's there's heartache and there's jubilation and there's, you'll laugh, you'll cry, you'll hurl, it'll, it'll move you. It's amazing. Um, but what, what I love about that book and that story is that there, there are some characters who feel like, okay, I don't know exactly what I'm supposed to do next. And then they're presented with, oh, well, how about this? How about this dream? And it catches catches fire in them, and it moves them forward, right? The dream results in a sense of purpose, and that sense of purpose results in action, and that action helps create a life. And uh, I, was, I was listening to a podcast the other day, and there's, a, there's an author on who is the author of a book called Someday is Today, and he said this. He said, what's the horizon that you're looking to? Your dream is the thing that gets you moving toward it. And this was the challenging part. And he said, and if you don't have a dream or a horizon, you are stagnant. And that, that hit me because I started thinking, okay, well, what's my dream? What's my horizon that I'm moving toward? Um, and I, and, and I, started, I started thinking about how that relates to us as a church, how that relates to one chapel, our church family, how that relates to the body of Christ as a whole. And... And I came back to, so last week, Pastor Ross shared a message. It was a great message. I love the message from last week. So he can stay as lead pastor for his job security for another week. That was really good. Totally kidding. Um, I hope he doesn't fire me if he hears this. Uh, so, and, and, and he said this. He said, the big dream, and that got my attention. The big dream of One Chapel is to create a culture of disciple making. The big dream of One Chapel is to create a culture of disciple making. And he, he, he put this out kind of the same way that, that Jake Spoon put it out to Gus and called. The big dream is this. Could you see yourself doing that? Could you see yourself moving toward that? Does that excite you at all? Could that, could that move us forward? And for me, it gets me excited. And I mentioned at the close of service last week, part of what got me so excited is that Ross is talking about uh, disciple-making, being very intentional, relational. We're not, we're not talking about like holding conferences and, and, and having a bunch of classes and overloading people with information. What we're talking about is walking together, sharing life, 
getting to know one another and being intentional about asking some of the harder spiritual questions. Like, what is God showing you today? And, and you told me last week that you were going to do this. How's that going? Are you still doing that? Do you need help? Or coming into to a relationship with someone and saying, I need help. I, I, I don't know how to follow God in this situation that I'm in. I don't know what God wants of me. I'm not quite sure how to obey, or I don't have the strength to obey what he's asking me to do. These are all things we all face. And if we have a culture of disciple making, then we will, as Ross was uh, talking about it last week, it's intentional, it's focused, it's relational, and it's being vulnerable and willing to ask each other the hard questions and to find the answers together. And so last week after service, I came up and, and I was feeling very strongly like, I, th I, th I think we do that. Like that feels a lot like the family that we have here at One Chapel Liberty Hill already, right? I see, and I've seen it since Jennifer and I came here in October, like intentional, relational focus. And, but I think that as, as many of us in the congregation who are intentional about, about seeing one another building one another up, getting to know one another's lives, not just the life that we show each other on Sunday morning. We got, we got a whole 167 more hours during the week that sometimes we don't show to each other. But the more we're able to open those things up to one another, the better we become as a disciple-making culture. Right? And so Ross said, the big dream of One Chapel is to create a culture of disciple-making. And he mentioned this in last week's message. We want every person who belongs to one chapel to follow Jesus closely and to help others follow Jesus closely. The one chapel motto has been, for the longest time, we help people move from where they are to where God wants them to be. And that's, that's important because we need to have that at the forefront. We need to let people know, like, when you come here, there's... There's action that you can take. There's, there's movement forward. You're not just going to stay stagnant. You're not just going to stay without a horizon, without a dream. We want to be a church and a people that helps people awaken to what God wants them to be and where God wants them to be. But, and he showed this little graph last week as well, all the stuff on top is we got Sundays, we got groups, we got teams, we got OC Connect. We got catalysts, we got outreach, and all of those things on the top of that line are good things. Those are things that are necessary. Those are things that help us along those lines. But he's challenging us, and I'm challenging us to look down below and be intentional about making discipleship, disciple making, getting each other growing in God, challenging one another to 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 really to really dive in iron sharpening iron and, and, and moving us forward together to the purposes of God. Disciple making as the sort of the, the dream that underscores all of those things that we do, right? Sundays, groups, teams, those are amazing. OC Connect is amazing. Outreach is amazing. Catalyst is amazing. But if we do it without being intentional about, okay, what's the purpose? Why are we doing these things? Are we doing Sundays just so we can check off a box and say, I came on Sunday and now I feel good about my week? That can't be it. We can't stop there. We have to have a purpose in our activity. And so that's the, that's the corner that we're turning around right now and the, and, and the vision and the dream for the next season, however long that season is, is, okay, Jesus called us to make disciples. 
can we make disciples through everything that we do here as a church body and through everything that we're doing in our lives? Our vision and our values are good. It's presence, relationship, and mission, but disciple-making is the engine that makes the church go, and it makes the church grow, right? And it also makes people grow, and that's really the important thing. Um, so Matthew 6.33 says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Um, and once again, just reviewing a little bit of what Ross was saying last week. Uh, as, we put, as we make disciple-making a focus, we don't leave everything else behind, but we put Matthew 6, 33 into action in our lives. Jesus said, go and make disciples. That was his commissioning and his commandment to us. And so if we're doing all the other things we do without that as the focus, then we're really kind of doing it in vain. We're really kind of just being social. And that's fine. I love being social, but God wants us to be social with a purpose and a destiny. He wants us to move forward, right? So if we put our focus on being disciple makers and we allow that to become our culture, I just don't think we're gonna have a problem with anything else. I really think that seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, God will add all that other stuff unto us. We won't, we won't be at a loss or a lack for stuff if we make his priority our priority, right? So uh, I wanna look really quickly at the uh, message Bible version of Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Jesus, undeterred, went right ahead and gave his charge. He said, God authorized and commanded me to commission you. Go out and train everyone you meet far and near in this way of life, making them by baptism in the threefold name, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And then instruct them in the practice of all I have commanded you. I'll be with you as you do this day after day, right up to the end of the age. This is Jesus in the message version commissioning us to go and make disciples. And, and he makes it very, very relational. Go out, train everybody that you meet. Uh, baptize them, instruct them in the practice of all that I've commanded you. What is Jesus teaching us? Go and teach other people by example and when necessary by words, right? Go and teach them everything that I've taught you. And there are challenges to doing that. When the big, I just name a few, I'm just listing them off. Busyness and time, because relationships take time. Building relationships takes time. It's much easier to throw somebody a track and hope that God does it, right? I got, I got 50 tracks in, I'm gonna put them all out there today, and woo, I did discipleship. That's not it. Discipleship is relationship. It takes work. It takes time, which is why I think Jesus only had 12, and that was enough, that was maybe more than enough. I, at times, I'm sure he was like, this is more than enough. Good Lord. Good me, you know? Um, so, you know, busyness. I don't have the time. Also, consumerism. Like, we have been inundated with the expectation that it's all about what we can get out of it. It's one of the reasons I love this church is because I see so many people coming in looking for an opportunity to give looking for an opportunity to sow into somebody, looking for an opportunity to bless someone, an opportunity to serve. And that, to me, is what builds a church. That's what, that's what makes a church worth coming to. It's not people coming in and saying, okay, well, I really hope I get something out of service today, but coming in and saying, what can I do? How can I serve? I wanna find a need and meet it. That is the heart of ministry, finding a need and meeting it. Um, we also, another challenge, we have a segmented life model. We feel like we can have a Sunday life, 
and then a Monday through Saturday life. And our Sunday life usually is when we feel sorry about our Monday through Saturday life and then try to make up for it and get us going on a good note for the next Monday through Saturday. That's just so futile. God doesn't want us to live that way. He doesn't want our life to be segmented. He wants it to have integrity where we are the same right here as we are when we're out at the restaurant on Tuesday night or when we're at work on a Monday morning or at 6 a.m. prayer. I'm just going to put another thing for that. Um, yeah, we have, uh, we have a need for convenience, you know? And uh, I'm sorry, relationships are not convenient. Adrian, Adrian talks about this all, t- all, all the time with me. You know, we're talking and we're talking about how relationships are not convenient, but they're, they're worth it, right? Things don't often happen on my schedule that I would want. People don't have a crisis on my schedule, you know? But then again, I don't have a crisis on theirs either, right? So when I'm having a crisis, I'm sure that somebody has had to say, oh, all right, well, I was going to do this, but I'm going to put that on hold. Okay, Darren, what do you need? You know, that's, and that's at the heart of it. That's at the heart of it. And I think one of the biggest, one of the biggest challenges to us in terms of spiritual formation and discipleship is that we have kind of a faulty definition of what success means, what success looks like. I think it's a lot easier to have programs and count numbers and, and, and look and, well, is the church growing? Are we having more people? Did we bring more people in? Then we are successful. Maybe, but maybe we've just made it real easy and everybody just likes being here because they're not challenged. That also happens, right? So Jesus is, and the kingdom's definition of success is different than ours. God defines success so differently that sometimes if we're successful in his way, we think that we're losing. We think we're failing. God has this upside down kingdom, like up is down, right is left, in is that's weird, right? Anything that you think should be happening in the natural, God probably is thinking, I think that should happen opposite of the way that you want, right? So we can look at our lives and be successful in the kingdom and still feel like we're being unsuccessful. Look at this, Luke 9, 22 through 23. Then he told them what they could expect for themselves. And it gets harsh. It gets rough. Anyone who intends to come with me has to let me lead. You're not in the driver's seat. I am. Don't run from suffering. Embrace it. Follow me and I'll show you how. Self-help is no help at all. Self-sacrifice is the way. And it's my way to finding yourself, your true self. So he's basically telling us, okay, guys, I want you to come on a journey with me. Let's make disciples of of as many people as we can. It's not going to be fun sometimes. It's going to feel like you're suffering sometimes. It's going to require you to do things that you don't want to do sometimes. It's going to require you to give up things that you really rather hold on to sometimes. But guess what? It's the only way to finding out who you truly are and, and who he truly is. That's at the heart of that scripture, Luke 9, 22 and 23, is anyone who tends to come with me has to let me lead. And so, we got to ask ourselves a question then, what is Jesus inviting us into? And I, I'm going to go, I'm, I'm, I'm going to hit some stuff here and, and skip over some stuff that is, uh, that's not essential, but the very first thing I think we need to remember is that as followers of Christ, we are disciples. We're not converts. We're disciples, not converts. Disciples are students. 
They're followers. Disciples are people who sit under a teacher and get to know that teacher's teachings, their words, and their ways. How do they live their life? How do they, how do they put this teaching into action? As, and, and if you're going to be a student of someone, if you're going to be a follower of someone, that immediately denotes relationship. It denotes time. Time spent learning someone's ways. If, you, uh, you know, if you're married in here, you can recognize your husband or your wife's voice across a crowded room, which is so romantic and also sometimes a little scary, um, <laughs> depending on what you've just done. So you can recognize your husband or your wife's voice on the other side of the room, and many times you can be in a conversation and you can say, I'm going to say this, and she's going to say that. I just know she will. But it's because you've spent time. You are familiar with that person more than any other person. And that's what it means also to be a disciple. That's at the heart of that. Following, closely, watching, observing, listening, putting things into practice, getting instruction, getting feedback on how well you've done or not done the thing that you thought you were doing, right? Jesus called us to be disciples with him and to learn from his life, to be able to live how he lives, teach the way he teaches, and share the kingdom of God the way that he does. The author John Mark Comer says it this way, be with Jesus, become like Jesus, and do what Jesus did. Be like Jesus, become like Jesus, or be with Jesus, become like Jesus, and do what Jesus did. And that's at the heart of disciples. Now, we're disciples, not converts. A convert is someone who has had their opinion changed about their religious belief. They've had a change of mind. They've had a change of opinion. They've decided, you know what? That does sound better. I think I'm going to convert to that. Conversion just takes a mental ascension to wanting to ascribe to a different philosophy. It doesn't have the deep impact of discipleship. The word disciple, like the word follower or pupil or student, it means relationship. Disciples aren't just converted to thinking in a different way about God. Disciples are participants in an ongoing and transformative relationship with Jesus. That's what God is calling us into. All right. I want to go to the, the second point here. Um, what's Jesus calling us into? And this is huge, actually. We are followers. We're not experts. We're followers. We're not experts. That's point number two. Nathan, I'm sorry. I skipped way ahead. Um, how about a big hand for Nate Dosh, everybody? For always, yeah. <laughs> He's back there going. <laughs> so we live in an expert culture. I don't know why my voice cracked like that. I think I'm nervous. We live in an expert culture. We live in a culture where, I mean, everywhere from the classes we take to, you, we can go take a master class like online. We get on YouTube and somebody's like an expert on this and I'm gonna go watch all their videos and see how they catch bass and that kind of stuff, right? Those are, those are the videos that I watch because when I go out, I don't catch bass. So um, we live in an expert culture. We have experts for everything. Experts for everything, and we feel like we can go to them, and we can get all the knowledge that we need, and then we can then become like that. But I got to tell you, a disciple is not an expert at Christianity. Being a disciple does not mean that you know everything. Not even close. Not even close. So I want to look at this passage in Acts 4. 
just as an example of this. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished. And they took note that these men had been with Jesus. We're talking about two of the disciples, right? Two of the original 12. Like, these are OG disciples. And Peter and John are doing what God asked them to do, following what Jesus asked them to follow. And the people around were astonished, probably because of, you know, the courage that they had, probably because of the way that they conducted themselves. But mostly they were astonished because the, the thought is, these guys? You kidding me? Speaking in power, having, the, having this courage, having this boldness? Like, that's not these guys. Unschooled and ordinary is also translated as dumb, unlearned, <laughs> ignorant. And there's a Greek word somewhere in there that is the root for our word idiot, right? So when the scripture says, <laughs> they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, there's a version out there that literally says, when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were idiots, <laughs> they were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. I gotta tell you, that's the goal of a disciple-making movement, right? People don't need to see us. They need to see Jesus. They, they don't need to overestimate who we are. They need to estimate us, right? <laughs> they need to just, maybe next time you'll estimate me. It's that, it's that principle. They don't need to overestimate who we are. They need to be able to say, man, I spent some time with Darren. He is an idiot. <laughs> but there was something there I feel like he's been with Jesus. That's the goal, right? It's not that God doesn't want to use gifted and skilled people. If you are really smart in this room, first of all, I, I'm open to being taught. But if you're really smart, you're really skilled, you're really an expert at something, it's not that God doesn't want to use you. He does. He wants to use you at whatever you'll lay down to him. But he kind of specializes in using idiots. He specializes in using people who don't think they can be used and who other people are going to underestimate. He specializes in that because he wants people to see him, not you. He wants people to see who he is and to know that, man, if they can work, if God can work through that person, God can work through me. He wants to lower the bar of relationship. And I tell you what, I excel in an environment where the bar is very low. I, uh, I shine in that environment. So most people think that discipleship, Ross mentioned this last week, most people think discipleship is either for the really spiritually deep, like, oh, that person's a disciple. Wow, they have been walking with the Lord like for longer than I've been alive and they know and they pray every day and they've got so many scriptures memorized. I can't remember any of the addresses, but they've got it all down. Um, Yes, those people can be disciples, right? But maybe not. That's a matter of the heart and a matter of what that person is willing to commit to. But we think it's either for the really spiritually deep or for the spiritually immature. Oh, that person's a brand new person. They don't know anything about God. They need discipling. I gotta tell you, we all need discipling. We all need it. And our churches, and I love that we're starting to awaken more and more to the relational nature of discipleship because our churches tend to be academic, right? 
We have conferences, we have teachings on everything. We have so many teachings. My father-in-law says we have enough teaching out there to choke a horse, and that's true. That's sad for the horse. We have, yeah, but we always start thinking because there are so, there's so much knowledge out there. We feel like, okay, well, I will be a better Christian if I just have all that knowledge. If I just knew more, if I just could get that bit of information really solidified, then I would be better. I could become the expert. And we should. We should study. We should meditate on the word of God. We should know what he's commanded us. We should know what he's asking us so we can obey. But we have to be really careful about thinking that that's the way to discipleship, that being an expert somehow qualifies us and makes us a better disciple. Uh, Being a disciple is about study and action. Being a disciple is about drinking in and pouring out. It's not just about accumulation of knowledge. Being a disciple is about learning and teaching. And usually what I find in my life is that I can study, I can receive, I can I can try to learn, but I tend to grow the most when I'm doing the outward things. I tend to grow the most when I'm trying to teach something. I learn things in a whole new way when I realize how much I don't know about the thing I'm trying to teach. It's like, oh, wow, that's interesting. And then people can speak back to me on it, and I learn, right? When I'm pouring out, I learn a lot more than when I'm soaking in. Jesus uh, corrects the religious leaders in the book of John uh, chapter 5, 39 and 40, he says this, you study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. He's telling us that in our study and in our desire to know more, sometimes we lose the importance of knowing him. It's not about knowing more stuff. It's about knowing him more. And that comes through relationship and through obedience to doing what he, told, what he said to do. He told them, you refuse to come to me to have life. We can get satisfied knowing about him. And then it keeps us from living out in obedience where we actually get to know the one who all of this is about anyway. So our education is never gonna make us good enough or godly enough. And I think we need to, we need to remember that as we're moving forward into this next season. Um, we're, we got groups are coming up. Uh, if, if you are here in one chapel and you've already got a group that you belong to, that's fantastic. What I'm, what I'm wanting from our groups here at OCLH is I, I love that we have groups. I love that people can find others to connect with on a regular basis and we can begin to, to live life together. I don't like to say do life. Some people say we do life together, but that sounds to me like prison. So I'm doing life. It's like, oh, I'm sorry. Sorry about that, bro. That's rough. Um, I'm doing life with these people from my church. That sounds bad, right? So we can live and grow together in these small groups. But what I think we need to really be conscious about and intentional about is not just getting together as a group, but seeking him as a group, asking these hard questions. Um, Asking and, and finding out, you know, about the things that we don't know. How do I obey this? I've got, I've got a problem with this right now. We, and we're going to be talking about, in our groups, we're going to be um, moving towards talking about the messages from Sunday. Not that every single one of your group meetings has to be 
and we're only going to sit down and we're going to talk about the message, we still want our groups to have life, have fun, engage in activities, but not at the expense of talking about what God is doing in our church as, as, as a family. Not, not, in, not at the expense of what he's leading us into in the word. He's wanting us to really kind of marinate in with one another. In 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 1, 26 through 31, I'm gonna, be, I'm gonna be done here in just a second. Paul says, brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you are wise by human standards. That hurts. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. It's because of him that you are in Christ Jesus who has come, become for us the wisdom from God that is our righteousness, our holiness, our redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. So on, on this point about being followers, not experts, I just wanna say, no matter what level of like ministry leadership you are in, you may be here for the very first time, you may be accepting Jesus today. You may, be, uh, you may have been walking with the Lord for 40 years and you know so much stuff about the Bible and so much stuff about the Lord. You've got tons of experience, right? We are all followers. None of us are experts. And I think one of the things you learn the more that you walk, the longer you walk with the Lord is that, oh yeah, I didn't realize how much I didn't know. All of us, from, from the pastor of the church to the youngest the youngest of us in tinies. All of us are followers. All of us are learning. None of us are experts. And Ross mentioned that about specifically about groups uh, in, in last week's message, and I think it's so important. It's important for us to remember as we get into our groups, none of us are experts. We might have somebody who's brought the group together, but when we all come together, everybody has something to share. Everybody has something of value Everybody brings some special little bit of the glory of God that the others in the group need. And when we come together as a group, that's our opportunity to really find out, man, what, what is Jesus showing you that I need? What's he showing me that you need? That's what we need to be doing in our groups intentionally, intentionally, is really diving into God together. Jesus wasn't looking for leaders who could serve. He was actually looking for servants who he could make into leaders. And that's where it all starts. Serving, serving. How can I serve? How can I, how can I be a blessing to this place God's called me into? How can I be a blessing to these people that he's put me in front of? Um, okay, third thing, really quickly. As we're, as we're disciples, what does that mean? What's Jesus calling us into? We are together, we're not alone. I think I hit on this just a little bit without really meaning to. Um, let's read First uh, John three sixteen and, uh, through eighteen, and then actually, Adrian, if I could have you and the team come up, that would be fantastic. Except your Cajon player is busy right now, so. <laughs> oh, Kevin's got it. Yeah, <laughs> Dave's. Like, Everybody wants to play the Cajon. It's awesome. It's, it's really easy, too, because you get to sit down the whole time. I love it. So we're together, not alone. First John three sixteen through eighteen says, "This is how we know what love is." 
Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. Love is the way that we know Jesus, and it's also the way that we show Jesus, right? And we can't do all of that by ourselves. I say this a lot, like, when I'm not around anybody else, I'm perfect. Like, I got everything all together, everything's good, I'm pretty amazing when I'm by myself. It's when I'm around other people that I realize, oh, I didn't realize that was a problem in here. People will challenge us in the best and the worst ways, and we need to be open to that. We need to be inviting that into our lives, right? When we connect with community and we're honest and we're vulnerable, then the gospel actually comes alive in us. The gospel comes alive in us. And we all need to admit kind of that we're in process. And as we're moving through this, this series on discipleship, and as we're moving through this season in discipleship, um, we're gonna dive more and more into what, what this what this all means. What does it look like? How can we follow Jesus together better? 